Well, it's, um, it's officially 2019, and uh, we've passed through 2018. For, for some of you, 2018 has been a mixed bag. There's been good and there's been bad. And as I look around this room, all of you have been touched by something. <laughs> uh, most of us have been touched by sad things. Uh, most of us have had good times as well. It's, it's been a mixed bag. Most years are, right? And so uh, uh, you're, you're leaving some things behind. Uh, but the truth is we don't always leave those things behind. They kind of follow us into the new year. And there's things that we need to deal with. But, but, but a new year does represent something. I, I, I like New Year's. I... I usually make resolutions, and they last at least till January 3rd, and uh, no. Actually, I, I do pretty good on resolutions. There's things that I usually pick out every year that, that I'm going to do, and, and, and I try to do them and, and, uh, and try to stay true to, to what I'm resolving to do. I, I think a new year presents a fresh beginning. And so here we are, January 6th, right, <laughs> of 2019. It's, it's not too late in the year. Don't say, oh, it's already January 6th, I'll wait till next year. Uh, it's not too late to present some fresh resolutions, some habits, uh, to, to maybe consider doing some, some new things and, and, um, and, and changing some direction. Uh, our, our good district superintendent said, uh, sent an email this past week, and I'm not going to be able to say it exactly how he said it. I can't remember the quote, but the quote was, if you want to know how someone's 2019 will be, Look at how their 2018 will be, <laughs> and that's kind of a frightening thing. That that hopefully we are people who are new wineskins that that God can expand and grow and change, and we can grow in 2019. Who wants to grow not just physically <laughs> in 2019? I want I want to be a better person in December of 2019 than I am in January of 2019. And the truth is we serve a God that's big enough. I, I believe God is big enough that in my life, if I allow him to grow me and I grow more into his image, I will be better in December of 2019 than I am in January of 2019. And so a new year presents a fresh beginnings. And so some of you have made Resolutions. How many resolved not to make any more resolutions? I'm just curious. There, you know, there's there's always people that just I, I will not make resolutions. And uh, maybe you've trying to create some new habits. There's there's always the New Year's diets and uh, the workouts and the things that we do. And I would hope some of you have thought about relationships with each other. I would hope relationships and loving people more and, and being more careful in your relationships would be something that all of us would, would have on our list of things to do. And, and these things involve work and they involve our physical body and they involve our family. And, and in school, I hope all of our students, all of you have resolved. Braylon, you have resolved to get straight A's this semester, right? Just say yay. Yeah. He just shrugged, Polly. I don't know. Man. So we, we make resolutions to do certain things. And, and I think it's important to make resolution towards God. Uh, even if 2018 what was a banner year, I think when we come to a new year, I think it's important that we stop and say, hey, this year I am going to grow closer to God. Do, do they still, when I was a kid, Many years ago, uh, I think it was like five years ago, um, 
do they still do the Pledge of Allegiance in schools? Anybody know? They do. Some do. You know, I was thinking about that as I was preparing this sermon. Every day we would get up and we do, let's do it together. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. Uh, you know, we do that every morning in school. And I thought about that. You know, when I was a child, I was committed to my country. I, you know, I didn't need to pledge allegiance every morning to, to be reminded. You know, it wasn't like every night there was this struggle with whether I would become a Russian spy and they, they had to, to, to get my allegiance once again. But every morning we did that. As I thought about that, I, I think that is a reminder. It was meant to be a reminder. That it was going to be built into our ethics, into our DNA, this, this ideal of country and, and all the things that revolve around that. And they were building that into our DNA. I think New Year's are a good time to remind ourselves and to build into our DNA even if 2018 was a great year, even if you didn't, even if you didn't have a terrible year in 2018, as, as the calendar turns, it's a good time to remind ourselves of who we serve and why we serve him. You know, Israel was often reminded. It was built into their routine, this ideal, these reminders of who God was and what God had in mind for them. As a matter of fact, this, this whole concept of Sabbath, the, the seventh day built into the ideal of Sabbath was, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt, and I set you free. Now, the secondary thing was this, remember that everything that was created was created by me. I am the giver of life. I am the giver of freedom. And so every Sabbath included this reminder of who God was. It was built into their structure of the way they lived their lives. They, they, they had these regular feasts and they had these regular services. This, this is kind of a tangent. It's not, but it is. When you come in on Sunday morning, what's your focus? See, I think Sunday morning, should, we should come in with a predetermined focus. It's not dependent on the songs or whether the preacher tells a joke that's funny. If it was, you'd be in trouble. It's determined by the day of the week. It is Sunday Sunday, it's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so we come in here on Sunday mornings, and, and, and folks, don't, don't begin to hear pastors bashing churches that have church on Saturday. That's fine. Anytime. That's, anytime we can worship God's good for me, okay? But when we come into a worship service and we, we associate it with Sunday morning worship, we're, we're, we're associating the ideal with our Savior is not dead, but he's alive. And it's changed everything. 
And so when we come in here, we're ready to worship, not, not because they sing a song we like or it touches our emotions. It's great when those things happen, not when the preacher says something that, that stirs us up emotionally, but we're ready to worship because we realize why we're here. Reminders. The feasts, the festivals, the, the temple, the sacrifices were all reminders that, that God sent leaders and prophets to the people to remind them over and over. I think last week we read scripture about remembering what God had done. Moses was one of those leaders. And as Moses is preparing to pass the mantle to Joshua, he says, I place life and death in front of you. Choose life. Wow. God has placed life and death in front of us, and he says, choose life. (laughs) Keep God first. Now, the people of Israel, despite their reminders, they had more downs than ups. (laughs) They forgot far too often. And, and so we read Abraham goes and, and, and from Abraham he has, he has Isaac and Isaac has uh, the, these two sons and then, uh, then Jacob has these 12 sons and, and Joseph ends up in Egypt and then God sends Moses to deliver the people and, and, and they come from Egypt and, and they're constantly being reminded. They're given the Ten Commandments. They're given the laws. They're, they're, they're given the sacrificial system. And, and then Joshua leads them and they inherit the land. And, and then there's this series of judges and then there's these kings. And it's only two kings in. After Solomon, that the, the kingdom is divided the northern and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. Eventually, Israel forgets so much that they are sent into exile, never to be heard of again. It's gone. Samaria is Israel, but it's really a a mix of people. And then finally, Judah is sent into exile. And God has spoken through prophets. And then God stops speaking. For 400 years, for 400 years, God is silent. They're back in Israel, but things just aren't the same. And God hasn't spoke through a prophet in a long, long time. And the people were waiting for God to speak again. They knew that things weren't quite right. You know, that they were in the land but they didn't possess the land. The Romans possessed the land. And, and they were just there. But it wasn't like it was intended to be, at least how they perceived it. And it's into that silence that John enters. This crazy guy in the wilderness. And the people were drawn to this prophet in the wilderness dressed in in furs and and eating wild locusts. I thought about wearing that this morning, but I I didn't know if that would be proper. You'd remember it, though, wouldn't you? Remember when the pastor was eating bugs? Matthew 3, beginning in verse 1. 
Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. I don't. This is one of those things in Scripture. It's it, it's fascinating to me this this concept, this this ideal of of John's baptism. What is going on in John's baptism? John's baptism predates the cross, and it predates the resurrection. And, and as Christians, as we understand baptism. Baptism all relates to being buried with Christ and raised with Christ. And and so although many times we just lump John's baptism with the baptisms we see in Acts and, and Christian baptism, there's something slightly different going on here. Because it's before the cross. It's, it's before the, 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 uh, the resurrection. and it, It's a baptism and it's similar. And, and maybe by prevenient grace, it points to those things. But there's something else seemingly going on. Now, now baptism is found in many religions, if not all religions, some, some level of baptism, this ideal of being immersed in water is significant. <laughs> now, now to me, when I see baptism in every religion, what it tells me is our God is active and he's trying to speak to every people group. And somehow they intuitively have this understanding of being coming through the water and being raised to the water. You know, every Every people group has, has had a creation story pretty similar to the Genesis story. And I believe it's because God just continues to speak to every people group. Even when we have not had the opportunity, God is speaking. Do you believe God is that big? I do. It's questionable what John's doing here. And as a matter of fact, even as you think, oh, well, if I could get back at the time of John then I would have a clear understanding of this baptism. And then, then I found this in John 3, 22 through 26, and, and I'm reading from the message here, I think. After this conversation, Jesus went on with his disciples into the Judean countryside and relaxed with them there. He was also baptizing. At the same time, John was baptizing over at Anan near Salim, where the water was abundant. This was before John was thrown into jail. John's disciples got into an argument with the establishment Jews over the nature of, of baptism. Now, I'm going to be careful here because the message writer, uh, Eugene Peterson, has used the word baptism here, but, but the literal word is purification that he's used here. But in the context of this passage, he is association, associating baptism with this purification, purification uh, rite of some type. So, so even at the time of John, there was debates over the effectiveness, the reason, the purpose, what was going on in John's baptism. 
Now, there's two primary suggestions. One is that, that John was offering a proselyte baptism. See, when, when Jews would bring someone into faith, they would baptize them. They would immerse them fully in water, and they would come out of the water as they become Jewish, and they would give them this new name. And, and so some suggest that John is doing a proselyte baptism for the Jewish people. That, but they are recognizing, even though they're Jew in name and by, by genealogy, that they've not lived according to the Jewish standard, and they're repenting and becoming Jewish all over again. And there's a lot of people that suggest that's, that's exactly what John is doing. So some suggest that, that John is a scene. The, uh, the Essenes were this sect of strict Pharisees that went into the wilderness and, and in a lot of ways, John resembles them. He, he acts like them, and, and the Essenes were strict, and, and they called to this level of repentance, and they separated themselves, and, and, and they were separate from society, and, and they offered a, a ritual of baptism that was for cleansing. And so some suggest that John is offering this Essene cleansing baptism. The only problem is that typically that would be done in clean water. And John is baptizing in the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is a dirty, grimy river. You know, both of those scenarios, I believe, have some merit and could be true. But can I make an alternative suggestion? Yeah, you ever hear, what, what's the three most important things in real estate, in reality? Location, location, location. Location matters, right? I, I did a baptism in Guatemala at a plate in a river that was right downstream from where they used to sacrifice, uh, that the Incas used to sacrifice people. And so we did a baptism there. I thought, that, man, what a great place to do a baptism. Location matters. And the location of John's baptism mattered. I don't think it is an accident that John is baptizing in the Jordan River. See, see, the Jordan River is the river they crossed with Joshua. That this was the river they, that, that God divided and they crossed and they went in as God's people with God as their king to possess the land. We will be God's people here. And I think one of the things that's going on here and why John is baptizing in the Jordan is he's offering a new start, a fresh beginning, a fresh possession of the land. They wanted to be the people of God, led by God. They wanted to start over with God on the throne. Maybe you're there this morning. <laughs> and maybe as you enter into 2019, you want to do over. You want to reset. Now, now John tells them that it's more than confession. He tells the Pharisees, and he tells those who come to him, and these are in the middle verses of after Matthew 6, 3, 6. He says, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Bonhoeffer talks about a cheap grace. 
And I love that phrase. That there's, and many times in our, in our evangelical circles, we can create this cheap grace. And I've used the phrase, and I think the phrase is right, when we understand what it means, we use the ABCs of salvation, admit, believe, and claim. That we admit that we're sinners. We, we believe that Christ died for our sins and we claim him as our Lord. <laughs> that, that confess him as our Lord is another way that's used. When we claim his as our Lord, it changes our behavior. It changes our priorities. Somebody give me an amen and stop. Everybody's just looking at me like, a, we, we still there? I still didn't get, I begged for an amen, Bob. I didn't get one. I'll tell you what. See, this cheap grace is it's, it's and I got to tell you, I love our altars and I love altar calls. But folks, we've got to get to this realization that, that what we do after we get up from an altar matters. That, that God has called us to bring forth fruit in keeping with our repentance. So, see, we have this, this narrow understanding of repentance and, and, and confession. Think of it this way. You're in a relationship with someone. It's a friendship. It's, it's a marriage. And, and you're doing things that are harmful to that friendship. Okay? So, so I'm lying. Okay, I'm lying about Grayson. I'm not, though, Grayson. I'm honestly not. But I'm telling big lies about Grayson. And I come up and I say, Grayson... I'm so sorry I'm telling lies about you. Do you forgive me, brother? And you'd forgive me, wouldn't you? Okay, <laughs> he, he thought about it. And immediately after doing that, I go over here and say, did you hear about that, Grayson? <laughs> See, that's not bearing fruit in, in keeping with repentance, is it? I, I mean, and, and oftentimes in relationships, we do that. We, we, we say, I will confess I've said I'm sorry to Terry and then done the same thing over again, right? Now, I know none of you men have ever done that, but I have. I'm sorry I did that, dear. Next week, I'm sorry I did that. See, God wants us to move past this, I'm sorry for doing, and move us to a place where we're doing and living like he wants us to live. Bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And so repentance is not just this. Repentance is saying, whoa, wrong way. It's a turn. It's a change. It's, it's a change of life. And, and John's saying when you're being baptized, it's fine to feel good and have that emotional high, but I want you to understand that this repentance that you're claiming requires that you change the way you live. See, true repentance places God on the throne. It does. When we truly repent, when we truly change direction, it's no longer me on the throne, but God on the throne. And that's going on here. John's inviting them to put God back on the throne. Who plays games on their phones? Anybody play games? Oh, come on, bunch of liars. You have to repent. 
You know, I've got this awesome iPhone, and I can get my emails. I can, I can play. I, I, can, I can do texting. I, I can see Facebook. I can do all these things. I can even make phone calls on it. I, that's at least what I hear. And I, and I play games on it. You know, I have Yahzee still, because I like to play Yahzee instead of Yahtzee, <laughs> uh, you know, just to bother Spencer a little bit. Uh, you know, I have these games. I have one game called Balls. Anybody see Balls, where it's all the balls, and, you know, you knock them, it's, and I am awesome at it. I, I've gotten up, Dad, you know what I'm talking, I've gotten up to 4,000. Yeah. 500. You know how I've done it? I cheat. Uh, <laughs> Spencer taught me how to cheat. If it's not going exactly how you want it to go, you can reset and just start that, that time over again. And so I've gotten really good at it. I just reset. Wouldn't it be great to have a reset button in life? Honestly, wouldn't it be great to have a reset button in life that, that, that you make a purchase, you buy a car, and it's a lemon, you go, I didn't want that. Boop, reset. You buy a house, you take a job, you make an investment, boop, reset. You say something. Anybody ever say something, and the minute it comes, comes out of your mouth, you, you think, why did I say that? Boop, reset. God offers resets. It's good news. <laughs> If God didn't offer resets, everyone in this room would be in trouble. Right? God offers new starts. And John is offering a new start to people who desperately need a new start. In Lamentations, which is amazing to me because this is one of the, one of the most upbeat positive scriptures, and you find it in the middle of lamentations. You know, you know what lament means? You know, it's like sorrow. In the midst of sorrow, folks, often you can find joy. That's hard to see, right? But in the middle of the scripture, it says, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Oh my goodness. God offers new starts. And as you've come into this room today, maybe 2018, maybe it was a so-so year. Maybe it was a terrible year. Maybe 2019 hadn't started too hot. We have a God who offers new starts to his people. Later on, it says this in Matthew 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering him said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lying on him, and behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. If there's ever been a person that walked on the face of the earth that did not need to repent, it was Jesus. If there's anyone that, that, that never needed to be baptized, 
It was Jesus. Jesus could have simply observed. He could have been there and blessed it and said, yeah, this is right. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. I never hear about John being baptized, do you? If anybody could have just watched and observed and said, yep, repent, be washed clean, re-enter the land, Jesus could have. But Jesus intentionally submits to the baptism of repentance. (laughs) He does it on purpose. Because Jesus associates with people who need need do-overs. If you feel like you need a do-over today, Jesus stands at your side and he puts his arm around you and said, come on, I'll go with you. (laughs) You ever have that person that that, that, that would do that in church? Now, we used to do this in church. Dr. Purdue, you remember when people used to like drag people down the altar and stuff, and we don't do that too much. I don't, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but you, you know, it, it used to be in church, if, you're, if you weren't around at this time, that when we'd have an evangelist or the preacher would preach some sermon that, that required a call, and, and you knew somebody needed to pray, you'd go down and say, all right, Nancy, why don't you come down and pray with me? <laughs> You know, Jesus does that. Jesus does that. Jesus puts his arm around people who need new starts and says, listen, I'll go with you. I'll go to the place of repentance with you because I want a new start for you. You know, and the beauty of this passage, when Jesus is baptized, all three members of the Trinity are at work and join in rejoicing what he's doing. The Spirit descends and the Father speaks. And so that tells me that Father, Spirit, Son, join us when we seek to repent. God offers resets. And I think this morning would be a good morning for a reset for some of us. Deuteronomy 3.11-16 says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us to get, us, get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that you may observe it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. And that I command you to, li- to, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you're entering to possess it. What if the issue in your life were not the circumstances? What if it was not about what was going on, what was good, what was bad? But what if the issue in your life was who sits on the throne of your life? Over the next few weeks, uh, we'll be looking at the temptation of Jesus. And, and, and the temptations all revolve around this simple thought, who would, who would reign supreme? Who would sit on the throne of Jesus' life? And, and Jesus answers this. And then, and then we'll move into the Beatitudes. And, and the Beatitudes... 
And the first and the penultimate beatitude, the, the, the blessing is the kingdom of God. And, and so the kingdom of God serves as the, the brackets of the beatitude and, and give it its value and its meaning. And, and so in these first three through five, Matthew three through five, it's all about kingdom of God. God sitting on the throne of your life. See, the, the kingdom of God is not some place that's to come. The kingdom of God is that space in your life where God rules supreme today. It's here. The kingdom of God is here. And it's here when we say yes to him.